Well, it's nice to be here for both of you, Carlos and Susan. Very nice. Thank you. Well, you know, it's it's a long story. I've, I've lived several decades now, so clearly a lot of stories along the way. And the reinvention piece has, has been a big part of it. And I'll, I'll maybe start at the beginning with, the, you know, the kind of brief overview, which is I was born in Scotland and I grew up in a family that, you know, you definitely didn't want to hang out in too long. Uh, and so by the age of 16, I was leaving home and moving to London. So my first reinvention was about figuring out how to turn myself from a working class girl from Leith, Scotland, which is at the port of Edinburgh, uh, into a little bit more sophisticated London type, uh, you know, person. So the first thing I had to get rid of was my accent, because I spoke with a very broad accent and it went up and down like this all the time and people didn't understand what I was saying. So I'll give you a wee bit of flavor right there. So I had to learn how to do the BBC. I had to speak the English language and learn how to do that. So, you know, that was like, you know, the beginning. And I was by then, as I said, I was like 17 years old. I knew nothing about nothing. So, uh, you know, having to reinvent who I was uh, and you know, over the years, that has been a continual piece for me. Uh, so I went from Scotland to London, then I went from London 11 years later and a divorce and a child and an education and all the rest of that stuff, moved to San Francisco. Same story as I had when I left home. I didn't know anybody. I had like, you know, 800 bucks to my name, a backpack and no idea how the hell I was going to make it. I was thought I was on my way to Australia. Well, I got to San Francisco and I finagled my way into a job, which was illegal, wasn't supposed to work for a living, no green card. And, uh, you know, once again, reinvented in terms of who I was and who I wanted to be. And then I ran into my husband shortly thereafter. And, and as I mentioned before the call, I've been with him now for 41 years. And in those 40, not 41 years, there's been an awful lot of redesigning, not only of the relationship, but of life in general. So I moved from San Francisco to Los Angeles. I spent a few years in Los Angeles. I raised more kids. Uh, and then I end up moving to Paris. And uh, again, you know, constant, you know, redefining, redesigning. What is this all about? Lived in Paris for five years. Then we moved to Amsterdam. And four years in Amsterdam, again, you know, you got to build new communities. you got to build a whole sense of whatever. Then we leave Amsterdam and I end up in New York. And in New York, it's finally time to get honest and real about where we are going. I'm noticing, in fact, that our financial life was a bit of a disaster and I had to find something to do for a living. Now, up until that point, I'd raised my kids. We traveled. I'd done martial arts. I'd made music. I had worked as a cantor for synagogues. 
you know, I've done and written my book and, and, you know, there's a whole whole bunch of stuff that I've been doing in that interim, but I've never had a career because I never wanted to go into corporate life. I knew early on in, in the game that this was not a good fit. So here I am in my 50s and I'm thinking, my God, what are you going to do for a living? And somebody says, you know, you'd make a great coach. You've had so much life experience and you really do understand human behavior because you've lived it and because you've witnessed it on so many different levels. I think you should be a coach. So I thought, what the hell? I'll learn how to be a coach. So off I went. And then I thought to myself, well, you got to create a credential. Talk about reinvention one more time. Well, you gotta got a credential because otherwise you're just coming out and know who's who's gonna take you seriously. So I wrote a book called The Fearless Factor. And why? Because fear had been a, an absolutely essential part of my life throughout all these reinventions, but throughout all these travels, fear was a constant companion. And I had to learn how to beat the fear back and learn what fear was really all about. So it became the fearless factor. And I shared my stories and I shared stories of other women specifically who had discovered their own fearless part. Uh, And then as the years evolved, my business evolved. I evolved. And, uh, you know, eventually 15 years later, here I am today with two Fearless Factors book. The last one came out last year, and that's called The Fearless Factor at Work. And my passion is really helping understand people, helping people understand how do you address the fear issues in your life? Because primarily fear is imagination based. It's mostly future thinking, and it's mostly without any empirical evidence. You make shit up in order to deal with the uncertainty and put a label on it for for whatever reason uh, you you choose. And so, you know, I've evolved in, in, uh, you know, a whole philosophy around fear, how we deal with fear and helping people change their their thinking and their behavior through the programs and, and such that I've devised over the years to really help individuals accelerate their, their changes and develop strong careers and and also a more satisfying life. So that's it. That's the big story. You know, I think I've always had this innate sense of adventure in me, even as a young child. I mean, I grew up in a violent household. My father was an alcoholic, and I was the eldest of three. And uh, his way of, of disciplining was with his fists. And so as the eldest, I took a lot of 
of that abuse. I also took a lot of emotional abuse and so forth. So the fear piece was very, very real growing up. Uh, you know, I remember hiding under tables and, and there's a piece of my, one of my early books about him finding me and dragging me out from under the table, uh, you know. And so there there was that piece, but in innately inside of me was always that sense of, there's more out there in the world and you've got to go find it. Then if you don't get out of these situations, then it's going to kill you. Um, another example of that was uh, in my late thirties, I was in some very intense therapy uh, and a friend of mine looked at me one day, I was in tears and she said, this is clearly so painful for you. Why are you doing this? I said, because if I don't, I will die. And if I don't die physically, I will die emotionally and spiritually. Uh, and I, I really can't do that. I can't do that for my kids. And I certainly don't want to do that for myself. So there's been a fight inside of me all my life. And, and that, I think, is really what came out when I took up martial arts in my late, in my mid 40s. I was 43 years old when I discovered martial arts and it felt like it was a, a duck to water. I felt like I had come home. I had found an avenue for the the anger and the the sense of of I will show you that was inside of me, and then being able to discipline that into the practice of uh, first of all Taekwondo, and then secondly with karate. Um, and you know, I earned a black belt in karate eventually. But it was that that piece of of wanting to channel this energy, this force that has always been with me. And I realize I've done an awful lot that most people look at and go, "Oh, I would never go there." I'm like, yeah, and you don't even know half the story because you know, there's certain stories you just don't tell in public, frankly. But um, there are places where you know you challenge yourself. And I think when you are ready for that challenge, when you're ready for that change, and I think you two know something about this too, um, it doesn't matter what the forces are that seem to be lined up against you, you're gonna find a way to get beyond it. You're gonna find a way to make it work, but it won't be easy. And that's that's the other side of this. You know, I, I, people will come and, and talk to me as a coach and I go, there's no magic bullets. It's simply about show up and do the work and be prepared to be comfortable being uncomfortable because that's the only way we change. Being comfortable, being uncomfortable is is really it. And, uh, you know, that's a that's a life journey right there, because there's no point. There's no end point on this, frankly. You know, it's like, what does tomorrow look like? Well, I have an idea of what tomorrow I'd like tomorrow to look like, but will it actually come out that way? I don't know. No idea. But I have to make the move to go forward, to take the action, because that's really what makes a difference. Mm-hmm. 
Well, if you don't want to be uncomfortable, then you might as well just be a dried up vegetable, frankly, you know, I mean, you might just shrivel up and let it go. I mean, let's face it, we all hate to be uncomfortable. And this last year has proven to every single person on this globe what uncomfortable really looks and feels like. And we've had to adapt, we've had to configure our lives, some of us have been uh, more privileged than others in order to, to, you know, structure our lives the way we want to. But this piece about, you know, being uncomfortable and going into the dark place, a lot of it is because there's a tremendous amount of negative self-talk that takes place in human beings. And if we really show up to our garbage, what you might want to be thinking about, or you may be thinking about is, oh, it'll just prove to me that everything I've been thinking is true. Now, that's one reason why you don't want to face your stuff, because you might find out that you're a useless piece of whatever. You know, my father told me for years I'd never amount to much. And guess what? All of my behaviors, all of my drug and alcohol and, and you know, sex in all the wrong places, you know, that was all a way of saying, yeah, you're right. I am a useless piece of whatever. So it's that confirmation bias that, that we go to, you know, in order to to qualify what, what our thinking's all about. So going to the dark places takes a lot of courage. And that's one of the things I talk about in being fearless. Being fearless is not the absence of fear. It's simply the opportunity, the courage to take the next step and then take the next step and then take the next step. We only get to live life one minute at a time. People say you only get to live one day at a time. Yeah. If we're lucky, some people only get to live one minute at a time. But when you think about what's reality, reality is this right now, this conversation we're having, what we said five minutes ago doesn't exist anymore, at least less you recorded it, which we are. But nevertheless, the point being is that in a normal conversation, what happened five minutes ago, two minutes ago, one minute ago is already gone. And what's going to happen in five minutes from now? Well, that's anybody's guess. You know, we have no idea where that's that's going to be going. So this reality is right here, right now. And most people are too busy projecting out there about all the things that can go wrong, all the things that, that they're going to have. We're going to lose a job, financial insecurity, lack of health, you name it. The list is long. But ultimately, it comes down to, you know, being fearless, having the courage to take that next step and knowing it, it might be painful. It might not be exactly what you had planned for it, but you're showing the courage to show up for yourself. And that is really where I get into with my clients. And, you know, give you an example. Yesterday, somebody wanted to keep interrupting the designing of her life by getting her focused on what she really wanted, but she wanted to hang on to the stories of the past. And all I wanted to do was like, stop, telling that story. That story is no longer relevant. It is a piece. It's like, you know, brickwork in the house, but it's not here. It's not now. It was seven years ago. Get over it.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, when when we look at you know making the leap, you know, between fearful and fearless, you know, people think feel like there's a huge chasm, but frequently it's a couple of inches, you know, and and shifting your perspective, your focus a couple of inches. Uh, can open you up into a much, much bigger arena than you even thought possible. I mean, if someone had told me even 10 years ago when I first started this or 15 years ago when I first started this, that I would be as well developed as I am now and and written these books and so on and so forth, I would have gone, yeah, right. You know, lots of luck on that because I was suffering from a lot, still a lot of that self-doubt, you know, that, that lack of confidence that, that undermines our ability to think big, to really take the risks, you know, to, to step it out there. You know, how many people worry, you know, who probably need coaching, but sit there and worry about, well, I can't really afford it. Okay, so, you know, maybe I could afford it, but, well, do I really want to spend the money on that? You know, that that becomes a, a big conversation for a lot of people. And I've been there and done that, too. But I also know that I've invested a hell of a lot of money and time and effort into figuring out how to do what I do well, because I'm the kind of person that I'll never do anything half-assed. I'll either all in or I'm I'm not in at all. And that's my personality and, you know, all or nothing. I have to say it's it's been a it's been a blessing and a curse a lot of my life to be honest with you um but nevertheless the point being is that if you're not willing to invest in yourself and you're not willing to take that journey well then you're just going to sit in your own little bubble and and hope that nobody catches you i mean that's really what it comes down to it's like hope nobody finds out that i'm really insecure i'm really unhappy i'm really whatever so, you know and and it was said many, many, uh, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, maybe, that, you know, people live lives of quiet desperation. Well, that hasn't changed very much. Most people do live lives of quiet desperation. <laughs> yeah.
Right. So, you know, the first question that comes to mind for me is how is how important is it that you need to know exactly what that looks like? I mean, right now you're on the road, you're doing your thing and you're, you know, thinking about the future. So we think about the things, you know, people usually say, what's your passion? You know, what, what are you looking for? Um, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Those kind of things. I don't know that they're, that is really helpful. I think what it comes down to is that there's somewhere inside of you, there's something that's having, you're having a conversation with some part of you right now that really does know what you're looking for. You may not be admitting it at this stage. So because, you know, taking that leap forward is a bold move. And you've made lots of bold moves in your life. I have no doubt in my mind, just from the little bit we've had on this conversation. But knowing that I may not have the answers to that right now. And again, no magic bullets. I'm not going to wave a flag or, or a wand here and say, you know, here you go. This is how it works. The idea is for you to sit there with the discomfort of not knowing, knowing that you are, in fact, moving forward and that you do have an idea of what it is that you want. You do have an idea of what works for you. Yesterday, I did an exercise with my client where I said, let's look for some keywords about what you're looking for. And the number one thing she wanted was independence. She'd had a lot of jobs in her life where she had crappy bosses and bad experiences, and she didn't want that again. I said, great. So independence. What's next? I want to make some money. Okay, great. So you want to make some money. All right, what's next after that? I want to have some, some uh, uh, harmony and balance in my life. Terrific. Okay. So we went down this list of the words that she would use for her future self and what she wanted to be in in the world and I said okay now I want you to take those keywords and I want you to write a story and you can write it in first person or you can write it in in second person so you're writing about somebody else but write a story using these keywords and figure out what that ideal would look like if all of this thing was put together what would that look like who are you in that picture and I don't care about the how of this at the moment. All I'm caring about is let's design a, a vision that you can relate to and you can see for yourself. And not only can you see it, but you can feel it. You can smell it. You can go with that whole image of these are the things that are important to me. And it's very much tied into your values. And if you don't know what your values are, then you need to do the values exercise, which I, I recommend also to identify what's, what you absolutely cannot live without. Make sure that that's a piece that's in that, that profile as well. So that's, that's the way in which I address that piece of, you know, I feel like I'm healthy. I feel like I've got a whole lot of stuff going on, but I just don't know quite what that image looks like.
Um, one word, shame. Shame. I'm ashamed of the fact that, you know, I'm not as confident as I seem. I'm ashamed of the fact that there are certain things I've done in my life that I'm not particularly proud of. I'm ashamed of, of, of the ways in which I've been treated and allowed other people to treat me that way. Uh, you know, the list is long. And so, you know, if we look at the shame issues, and Brene Brown talks about this in her books a lot, you know, the shame and vulnerability piece are very much tied in together. And like you, I share a lot of my own personal experiences for a very good reason. It's like, you know, I wanted, you know, I'm sharing this with you because I've been there and done that, you know, and I walk the talk. I mean, I'm basically all about, I know what this looks and feels like. And so we, when we bury ourselves in our shame, when we bury ourselves in the fact that, you know, being vulnerable is a weakness as opposed to being vulnerable is a strength. Uh, you know, there's where we get off the rails, if you like. I mean, you know, I remember probably around 26 years old, I was working, I wasn't even working. I was having a conversation with somebody who was a psychologist. and Probably my first run-in with somebody who was a psychologist. And he started asking me about my childhood. And he asked me about my emotions. And I remember very clearly at that moment, it was like a steel door came down. And I could not answer. I was like, no, I can't go there. And the first time I had a massage, the woman put her hands on my back and she said, boy, you're like an armadillo. I was like, you know, there it is. It's all contained, 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 because if I was to really let this stuff out, I would explode. And, you know, I did explode. I mean, I had a lot of anger issues in my early part of my life. And uh, it took me a while to, to get past it. In fact, one therapist said to me one time, um, your anger was probably a lifesaver. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Yes, because it has constantly driven you to say, I'll show you. And, and that's, you know, proving ourselves, especially if you're insecure, especially if you're feeling, uh, you know, self-doubt and low self-esteem. Proving yourself can be a double-edged sword, uh, you know, because it can challenge you to work harder, be better, blah, blah, blah or it can challenge you to just have a, a real attitude of destruction. And I went that route for, for quite a bit of my life uh, with too many drugs, too, many, too much alcohol, and not really, you know, connecting properly to things. I mean, I had my first child at 20 and I gave her up for adoption. I had the second child when I got married and I left him with his father. Uh, and so, you know, the third child comes along and I was like, it's time for you to get your shit together, girl, because there's a kid here who's going to depend on you. And so I told the therapist at the time, I said, she will leave me before I leave her. And that meant she would go to college and I would figure this out. And that was really the start of the major part of my transformational journey right there, 35 years old. Mm-hmm. 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 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see that. I mean, I, I think about my kids. I got four adult kids right now. And I mentioned that I left my son behind with his father. He was three and a half years old. And it took many years for me to finally resolve that issue, mostly because of the acrimonious relationship between his father and I. Um, but we are now the closest we've ever been. I have been that way for several years now. I talk to him every single weekend. Uh, but it took work. And, and I had to admit, you know, that I had been an absolutely lousy parent uh, on so many levels. And, uh, you know, the fact that I left him behind when he was three and a half was part of the reason why it was like, you're better off with your dad than you are with me, because I really no idea at all about who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing here. So, you know, here I am running, running off from London to San Francisco and, uh, you know, cried for, for months afterwards. You know, I was like, what what are you doing here? What, why, are you, why are you doing what you're doing? And it wasn't, I didn't have the answers. I didn't really understand it, but I understood on a very intuitive level that this is what I needed to do. Um, I just didn't have the answers as to why at that point. And I think, you know, people get caught up in their why, and I like to say, I learned when I was writing my first book and I had a, a coach that I worked with on it and he would read my, my chapters and he would look at a scene and he'd go, so what about this matters? And I think that that, sent, that, that question has become a really key piece for the change process. It's not about why, you know, but it's about the what about that matters. Why is it important for you to break through this stuff? Why is it important for you to understand this stuff better? Why is it important for you to feel better? You know, so what about that matters? It's really a, a very big key piece. But to, you know, back on that shame piece, we've all got stuff we're, we're ashamed of. You know, I would scream at my kids when they were teenagers and the older one would look at me and go, that's another five years of therapy you owe me. And I would go, okay, whatever. I'll give you until 24 and then you're on your own. You do the rest yourself. <laughs> right now she's in her 30s and yes, she is uh, currently in therapy. <laughs> Anyways, so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely that piece of, you know, the older I get, I mean, I've, you know, one of the things that, that sparked interest for me when you were talking is, and I have a feeling it's probably something that you can relate to, control issues. People who are controllers, I was a big controller. You know, I like to, to make sure I knew where everything was at and I, I absolutely would step in and I'd take over and, you know, not give people the room to, to experiment. I mean, my husband, I was very clear about the fact that I enabled him to basically sit back, you know, and then I would complain. It's like, you never do anything around here. Well, that's because you constantly take over. So, yeah, after a few years of that, you just figure, why bother? You know, she'll do it. And then, of course, you know, I feel the burden of, of having done that. So control was a big issue, but control is also about keeping yourself safe. And if I understood, you know, why, where everything is and why it is what it is and so on and so forth, um, you know, that's my way of saying my world is safe, you know. And, and I think that's, that's, if you talk to a lot of people who are control freaks, they will tell you, yeah, it's definitely, if everything's ordered, then I know where I'm at. You know, I don't have any insecurity around this stuff. Um, but that's, again, that's that, you know, uncertainty, the insecurity. And there's a shame issue around that, too. You know, so uh, learning as I get older to just let things go a lot more than I ever used to. Uh, but still, you know, my husband would probably still argue, you're still a control freak. But what the hell? You know, it's part of who I am. <laughs> I'm better. <laughs> yes and you'll never get rid of it completely i just have to say that it's going to be there for the rest of your life but you'll you'll manage it better Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing about it, isn't it? I mean, that brings us back to, are you living every moment for what it's worth? Because it can all be ripped away from you. I live in earthquake country. There could be a massive earthquake any moment. 
and everything about my life would come tumbling down if I'm unlucky. Um, but at the same time, you know, it just goes to show life changes on a dime. And when we're not living our lives, being in the moment of understanding, being mindful, this is really a lot of this mindful practice. You know, it's like, are you aware of, of your circumstances? Are you aware of, of where your energy is? Are you aware of how you're impacting others and, and how, how you're impacting your own life, you know? Um, and it's easy to go unconscious. And I think, unfortunately, there's too many people who walk around unconscious. You know, they're just, they're not thinking about the moment to moment of their life. They're just thinking about how can I get through the day? How can I pay the bills? How can I get my kids schooled when I'm trying to, to do a job from, from home? You know, there's all kinds of things that uh, people are struggling with. I have a friend who has two autistic twins, uh, high school uh, girls, and her life has always been a struggle between trying to do a job and her husband trying to do his job, uh, as well as managing the, the girls. And, you know, you look at that and you think, God, how, how blessed am I that my kids are all healthy and you know, I've got a roof over my head, food on the table and gas in the car. That's really it. There's there's not a whole lot more that you have to say, is there? So you can go to my website, thefearlessfactoratwork.com, and you'll find all kinds of resources there. You'll find information on the programming that I offer, um, as well as links to getting the book. Uh, so the website is probably the best place to, to go, thefearlessfactoratwork.com.